Hello, fans and friends. And family members. So I guess of the three categories, it's mostly friends and family members. <laughs> Should we just not add an S to any of them? Fan, friend. Fan, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, fan, friend, and family member. <laughs> Hi, this is Priya. Hi, this is Connie. And welcome to It Girls, our podcast about figuring it out as you go. And today we're talking about a world without work. Uh, We kind of time travel into the future and think about what it'll be like when a lot of jobs do become automated and what uh, our work world will look like. Yeah, it's a little bit of an experimental episode, but we had a lot of fun making it and hope you like it. Welcome to the January 2017 episode of It Girls. We're very excited today to be trying out something a little bit different. Um, I think one thing that got me really excited about this topic or really interested was when I learned that according to NPR, truck driving is one of the most common, is the most common profession in most U.S. states in 2014. Uh, Connie, I think I told you this a little while ago, but that kind of blew my mind. Pretty crazy. When I when I saw that. Yeah, I mean, when you think about like the effect of what auto- just like one example of an of of uh, a post autonomous world, right? Is if truck driving gets replaced by autonomous vehicles, you think about just the effect that that might ripple down and have if truck driving is the most common profession, and and also the fact that truck driving doesn't require a lot of education and it provides a pretty solid middle-class income and so you think about what's going to happen to all those displaced Mm -hmm. workers if if autonomous vehicles become the rage like that is something that got me really interested in this topic to begin with I don't know about you what 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 kind of was there something that kind of signaled to you that this was something you wanted to learn more about? yeah I think uh well especially since I'm teaching robotics in class this actually came up quite a bit because uh, as a teacher of students in technology, it's really important for them to also be thinking about the repercussions of being an engineer or being a technologist in a advancing world where a lot of the times mm. the advancements that you are creating are also the things that are taking away jobs or taking away other opportunities for other people. Um, so a lot of the mm. time it's easy to look at technology with um, like flowery a flowery filter of oh, we're making progress. Um, But it's really important for people to be thinking, especially as young people going into technology, what the repercussions are and what their role is in uh, kind of countering some of the effects of how can I Hmm. be a technologist and further progress, but also play a role in improving the state of being for people that I might be taking away rights from too. That's amazing that you talk about that in class because that's something that key what you're talking about like having that conversation is something that I feel when I was started thinking about this topic I feel like that's not talked about enough by technologists mm-hmm. by leading technologists. Yeah. I feel like the general mood 
uh, when people get asked like on podcasts, for example, well, okay, this is all awesome, but what about the jobs you're taking away? The default answer always seem to, seems to be, well, um, that's, not, that's a nonsense question because historically the advancement of technology has always uh, produced more jobs ra- rather than take uh, like more, a lot more than the ones it's taken right. away. Um, and I feel like only recently have I started seeing things in interviews online, et cetera, that's like, yeah, but the jobs that are going to be created are going to be high skill jobs that are accessible to a small part of the population. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're leaving the less uh, educated or less skilled workers worse off. And, and kind of in, it seems like you're then increasing the inequality um, right. And there's two views on it, too, right? There's a long term view that economists usually take of, oh, well, in the long run, every single time we had uh, technology breakthroughs, like the Industrial Revolution, everything, uh, we lose some jobs for a little bit, but then in the long run, it goes back to a normal um, of stable, stable job growth. Um, but that's mm-hmm. not looking at the sh- short term of will individuals lives be impacted by this they're looking at the long term of will we end up with the stable uh unemployment rates Mm. later on um but doesn't look at the individual experience much of how that transition is Mm -hmm. actually going to work out for for those people so then now it kind of gets to are there people that are like what are the things that are happening to prepare for these downstream effects i mean we're already seeing this happen in a widespread way i mean that's like kind of a huge part of why Trump and Bernie uh, appealed to so many people, because people see a widening inequality in the US, right? And Bernie kind of got at it. This is this great, great quote that I that I heard by Naval Ravi Khan on a on a on a podcast. Um, And he was saying that, you know, um, supporters of Bernie saw this inequality, and they saw uh, money as kind of a zero sum game. So they were like, why is all the money kind of concentrated at the top? This is a zero-sum game. This is unfair. Whereas supporters of Trump saw immigration as a zero-sum game, um, which, you know, kind of viewing it as there's only so many jobs and like these immigrants are coming in and taking my jobs. Um, So I thought that was really interesting because when you think about it, the commonality is that there's this recognition that we do have like a fast growing inequality. So then what are the ways to actually address that, right? And Trump is trying to address that through... Um, trade policies, right? So like him saying that um, the fact that all these factories are going to China, um, that's like really bad for America and, and, and we should keep the factories here. Um, but that feels unsustainable to me, right? Because how much can you really fight the global economy? If the, if the factories are moving to China or if they're becoming automated and that's why workers are losing uh-huh. their jobs, then how much will trade policies right. really because in the long in, term? Because in the long term, that? globalization of trade will happen and um like a lot of jobs will be replaced by robots or by technology. So it's kind of delaying what's going to happen versus doing a more proactive solution. You know, it's kind of like pushing it back and saying, no, 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 you can't, you can't progress that way versus like letting it progress that way, but putting safeties in check for when it gets out of hand. And what are those safeties then? Is it reskilling? Reskilling the populace seems like a huge part of it. Well, like OpenAI is a really good example of what a good safety check would be, right? Because it's not delaying progress towards AI, but 
it's there so as AI progresses, it's going to like prevent some of the effects that might happen. Hmm. And I wonder, so the, the, when you say, when you're talking about AI, you're talking about uh, some of the downstream effects that they're trying to prevent are kind of like um, AI taking over and, and sentient AI kind of like basically, you know, killing human civilization, right? So I wonder what the kind of analog would be for a society or, or kind of an organization around a post-automated economy. Is the downstream effect you're trying to prevent like mass unemployment of, of low-skilled workers? Well, like the end goal that everyone wants is that they have a comfortable life. They're able to like afford what they need to. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're working to do that or if you're. Ah, uh, I see. You're getting at minimum basic income. Yeah. What do you think of minimum basic income? I did a little bit of reading about it. What, what is your what is your uh, view well, on it? Well, I think that it seems very socialist, right? And everyone's very opposed to socialist ideals. So then that's why it's it's like getting talked about, but very, very little political traction of like actually being implemented. But mm-hmm. I think if if there are not enough low skill jobs, then by providing universal basic income, like why uh, it, it would give that comfortable life for people. And then it would be able to displace some of the spending, some other things into that and then be able to uh, allow people to do more creative things too, right? And that's ideal of it. Yeah, I, but there's also a lot of pushback about that. Yeah, and it seems like we're getting like as history is progressing, we're coming to a time where America was built on these ideals of freedom and equality, right? Equality of opportunity, and we're getting to a point in history, or I guess right now, where it seems like those ideals keep on clashing with each other. Because, you know, people who are against the welfare state, you know, they're like, well, that is infringing on my freedom because you're taking my money away to then give it to these people. Um, But people who are kind of like for a lot of these welfare policies are saying, well, this gives like equality of opportunity to more people to progress and to kind of go move upwards. And then you get to an idea of minimum basic income and that's like the ultimate version of like literally we're gonna take money it's like it's just i mean we do this but like it's like basically a huge welfare program the more straightforward version where it's literally like look you don't even have to be looking for jobs we're literally i mean maybe a version of this as you would have to but the the idea is like we're literally going to redistribute wealth and so that really seems to like be taking away this freedom from from the higher economically you know placed people and then you know, it, like you know, you see, like the conflict. It seems to like it's like a it's a very principle based conflict. Like I feel like some people just would never be able to get behind. I don't know. Another thing that interests me about minimum basic income is like we've all grown up in a society that ties our self worth to to our jobs. And so, what would a world without work look like? Right. Right. And I think um, the most commonly proposed is, oh, now we're free to do a ton of creative work um, and like really, really maximize on our human potential um, of what robots can't do or what technology can't do. But that's also presuming that humans are inherently wanting to do creative work. I don't think that's necessarily true either. 
Yeah, there's actually a really good Atlantic article about this that uh, I, I don't know if you saw it. Um, I can send it to you where it's like the, the title is literally a world without work. And so the the author goes to this town um, that used to be kind of an industry factory town and the factory got shut down. And so all these workers have been displaced and, and don't really have any economic opportunities elsewhere in this town. And um, he this town is unique because it did f- create a very strong hobbyist culture like there's maker spaces there's places to do things like that and so it's an interesting case study of um sense of meaning um just anecdotally there have been times like i guess i graduated you know a year and a half ago and i took six months off after graduation and i thought it was going to be really awesome to not have any obligations or do nothing but I also really like, I I realized only after like not having it is that I do like having something to get up to and go and go to work and like finding meaning or value in that. And maybe that's, that's like not a good place to place your meeting. Maybe we need to readjust that, but. Yeah. yeah, And I I think I I had a similar thing when I was out for my surgery too. Like I, I was just so antsy to get back to work and I had these crises yeah. of like what is the meaning in my life um exactly was, I I think a lot of it is socially constructed right because we believe that because our work because society tells us that our worth is tied so much to our work um that it becomes hard to get out of that concept when we've been told that concept if anything, work at least distracts us from the existential crises that we would all have if we didn't have work <laughs> exactly. to do. That's what but it's really for. I don't know if saying that like eliminating work means that we would all become like higher. Well, the problem like, is like it really depends beings. on what type of person you are too. Like I can imagine some people who just have like a lot of cool other hobbies where they work on building things that they would even without a job they would just find something really really productive to do. It doesn't matter if it's yeah in a designated place where you're given designated assignments. So I think it's doable. But then there are other people who, like, like there's so many distractions in the world that they would just sit in front of the TV all day and, like, that's that's what they would do. Sorry. Oh, no, I think think that's totally true. Like, there's just two very different paths of people, and the way that we're trained right now is not to be super productive when we have no assignments. Like, the way school school treats you, the way work treats you is always, we're going to give you these assignments, accomplish these assignments. Um, but it's not necessarily tied to like intrinsic meaning. Like I don't, for example, like I didn't really care intrinsically about doing my math homework in school, but I had to do it and it gave me purpose to even complete it because someone told me to do it. And I think that's how a lot of people are driven right now, especially in low skill jobs. Of Here is a task. You don't intrinsically care about it, but do it. And then that's mm-hmm. enough for them to want to complete it. I I totally agree. I don't know if there are enough alternatives set up in an, in a non in a world where you don't have to work. It almost seems like that first option of just like here, give me tell me what to do, like and I'll do it. Is that better than? Well, I have nothing to do, so I'm gonna sit in front of the TV all day. And one one interesting like subset of the population to look at is right like senior citizens who aren't working. Um, you you can look at them and say, okay, you know, if, if these are kind of representative of a human human part of the human population that doesn't have to work, then what are they doing with their free time? And you see that the data shows that they're actually just like watching TV all, like, and all the time, knitting. right? Like, yeah, and knitting. But like the amount of TV that senior citizens watch is a proportion. I, I forget the graphic. I need to I need to figure out where the source is. But I saw oh, it was um, CB Insights. 
um, they created this graphic of like who watches the most TV and it's like senior citizens are like by far consuming, you know, like the most TV. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that if that is at least the way that we are brought up uh-huh. today, if that is our default thing to do, if we don't have work, then I worry about a world with no work. Well, that's also, you know, depend- well, if it makes someone happy, then it, it begs the question of is our goal for every individual to be happy with their choices or is it to contribute productively back to the community? And if a robot can contribute more productively than you, then maybe you should just be maximizing your personal happiness. But as humans, we weren't evolved to just sit catatonically and and do individual things that might maximize our, our near term happiness. We, were evolved to be in communities and to be contributing back to these communities. And like, that's like, I, I feel like maybe the, I guess I, of the two options that you mm-hmm. just described, I guess I strongly believe that we're better off with, with the latter. But one. what if you don't have anything productive to contribute? I know that's a huge <laughs> problem. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like it gets at a core part of like who we are. Like if we, if well, we don't have something that core, productively, then maybe people would evolve to be, to develop skills that are more productive to contributing to community because then they would just be intrinsically driven if it's built into us, right? It's I think it's built into us, but I don't know if we're if we are high sentient enough beings to recognize that and then act on it if not forced. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like because we had to go to work all the time, kind of a byproduct of that was that we were contributing back to the society and like at a base level that fulfills this kind of like human need that we have to be a part of a community and to be doing something mm-hmm. for a community. Without that, I don't know if we are kind of like high minded enough to seek that out. But I mean, maybe who knows? I guess it's speculation at this yeah. point. From from what I've seen in the world, I feel like it's it's less likely, like you're saying, that anyone would kind of like go out of their way to. All right, I need to positively contribute to the world now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so that's like the whole possibility of a world with minimum basic income, or a world Less where work. a world yeah. without work. Assuming that, assuming that basically this low skilled populace or this populace that has not is not specialized um, is taken care of in some way, like what would happen to them? But it's interesting though, like from your perspective, as because you're in kind of like kids' mm-hmm. education, it seems like there's so much potential an education and how in the education system to potentially counteract some of these things like right because a lot of it is going to be how we start training our students to be able to handle a more automated world but also the main trends have to be to steer away from this here like we talked about earlier like here do this assignment this is what you're doing because I told you to, okay, turn Mm -hmm. it in um, kind of model and having them working on more intrinsically motivated projects of what, how do, how do I be a creative human being or how do I implement Mm. uh, my own ideas versus just doing what someone else tells me to do. That's really interesting. I think I mentioned this a little earlier when I was talking to you about this. There was this interview done with two leading economists who like wrote the book on like the post automated world and they were talking about how this the education system needs to change or like um, that the world needs to change because robots are going to do what robots are good at, which is like 
but like you said, like, like turning in a task, like completing a task, like whatever humans need to be leveraging what humans are good at, which is like creativity, which is like emotional, uh, like intelligence and and managing things and and those kinds of things. Right. And, and that's why a lot of the training is changing towards emphasis on empathy too. For example, like, uh, medical training for future doctors, like medical school, uh, a lot of it is switching over to, okay, let's focus less on the memorization of like what symptoms map to what diseases. And now let's focus on how do you interact with patients well and how do you interact in an empathetic way so they trust you versus um, you're able to give the best diagnoses. Because that's going to be something that a robot can do better. But the empathy part, someone yeah. can do better. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, did I tell you uh, one one thing that I always find that I always make sure to to talk to Lena about? One thing that she strongly believes is that doctors are going to be completely replaced mm-hmm. by robots, um, like soon. Um, I guess I need to talk to her about this, but um, that always fascinated me because it was like, if doctors can be replaced <laughs> by robots, like what can't be? Yeah. Um, because. And I guess I, I guess I don't believe that now because of what you're saying. Like this empathy mm-hmm. part is always going to be a very right important... because no one's ever going to. Ch- well, maybe at some point, but at, for the next like projected twenty to thirty years, no one's going to trust a robot more than a human face to face telling you, "Okay, this is what's happening to you," uh, and then being able to answer questions and handle that in a very like human way versus like. Uh, these are the symptoms you told me. Must be spit out answers like a WebMD like voice versus just yeah, googling yeah. it. To be fair though, that's what some industries said ten years ago before they got disrupted by technology. Mm-hmm. So one example is wealth management. Mm-hmm. Um, when Wealthfront and Better whatever like these wealth management these automated services first came out, uh, a lot of the wealth management experts like the kind of traditional established firms they were interviewed like what do you think about these things and they're like oh we're not worried at all like our clientele really values the face-to-face like reassurance Mm -hmm. and and kind of something that you can get from humans that you can't get from machines and now you look at like five years later and these things are all automated kicking butt (laughs) Yeah. So I always hesitate to use that line of arguing of like, well, people are always going to prefer people. And I actually was thinking about this because I'm a management Mm -hmm. consultant and we are the business, the bread and butter is like people, you know, like people responding to people. And so I wonder if there's going to be anything that disrupts management consulting. Um, But yeah, I I don't know. Like it feels like if, if, if something like wealth management isn't safe, maybe that's a little easier, low hanging fruit than like management consulting or doctory. But um there are kind of replaceable uh, parts of exceptions to the rule. Also, I feel like we often use the vocabulary of like, Oh, low skill workers are going to be the ones who are going to be replaced. But, uh, and then we think of it as like the more educated you are, the less you are likely to be replaced or able to be replaced. But that's not necessarily true either. Like it's not this pay grade, um, of lowest income to highest income and lowest income is most, uh, easily replaced and highest income is, Uh, hardest to replace because a lot of just like diagnoses as an example is very easy to replace and then um like uh doing a lot of the spreadsheet work that management consultants do might 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 be Mm. easy to replace but not the face-to-face connection with the 
uh, companies they're working. Yeah, for. which is why like the service industry, for example, is an example is an example of, of something that's a lot harder to replace by robots. Right. Um, because it is very much based on that human connection. And I also feel bad. I don't know if there's like a better term, but I feel bad using the term low skilled uh-huh. workers. Um, it's like less specialized skill, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, I wonder if there's there's another term that I should be using. So I feel bad. I have if no being, idea like, what this is. Incorrect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's our crazy world. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our episode of It Girls. And next time, we'll be interviewing Priya, Mm because it's coming upon her one-year anniversary at BCG, the Boston (laughs) Consulting Group. And uh, we'll be talking about her takeaways from her year in consulting and what she's learned and what she thinks about the working world. Yep, it's going to be a good one. And lastly, the delay in posting this episode for our one fan, Kevly, who's keeping track, uh, is supposed to be posted in January. The delay is definitely all my fault, but the next one will be on time for our February release. Thanks. <laughs>